I think that it's very important to, to have in mind that even though some people might be, you know, skeptic about estimations that, you know, transmission models provide, it is at this point in time, you know, the best close to reality that we can get. Like we are not at the, you know, uh, virtual reality yet uh, to be able to actually have that different, you know, the level on, on the model. So, and this, uh, you know, for, for the swine industry, it is a huge advantage, the data that has been collected compared to, you know, for our species where we're just guessing a lot, we are assuming a lot of things that we don't know. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable way. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. I am Laura Greiner, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsored highlight is about AB Vista, an animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. everyone. I'm your host for today's Swine It podcast. I'm Laura Greiner. And with me today, I have Dr. Gustavo Machado, who is a veterinarian at the North Carolina State University. And he's currently an assistant professor there. Gustavo, how are you today? Hey, pretty good, Laura. How are, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for, thanks for inviting and uh, I appreciate the time. I'd like to discuss some topics with you today. So thank you. Yeah. Well, we're excited to have you on today. Um, Gustavo, before we get started, if you wouldn't mind giving our audience just a little bit more of a background about who you are and, and some of your experiences, I think that would be really helpful for them. Yeah, sounds good. So as I said, I'm, I'm a vet by training. Um, I did uh, get involved with research since my DVM, since my first year, so that led me to research. Um, and I was always interested in more more numbers than uh, than actually um, clinical things. So that led me to pursue my master's and my PhD in epi, epidemiology, more specifically working on uh, disease transmission. And I'm originally from Brazil, so my 
master's PhD were, were done all down in the South. Uh, and then once I finished, I, I started as, as, as a position assistant professor down there in the same university. But then some positions came up at the WHO. So I actually worked for WHO during Zika outbreaks when they just started in Brazil, 2016. Um, then after you know, some time there, a position came up in the University of Minnesota. So I decided to join the University of Minnesota as a postdoc. And right after that, in 2018, I started my tenure here in North Carolina. So since that time, I'm just uh, setting up my lab down here and getting, getting busy with, uh, with some topics. I didn't realize that you had spent some time working around the Zika virus. So that's actually really intriguing, just being able to watch relatively emergent disease um, and how you manage it. And so I think that really talks nicely into what we were going to talk about today. It's and, and the work that you're doing is about disease and disease modeling and, and how do we manage disease. So, I mean, can you maybe start with a little bit on just that thought process of of disease and disease introduction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and right in 2016, when first case of Zika appear reports, you know, very clinical things like on the crisis uh, of that, it was interesting to see that the information coming out from human health were um, not as good as what we are normally seeing in animal health. So it really helped me to to understand that I should just go back, I think, to animal health where we have better data and more control over the populations than to human health where we don't have too much control. We don't, yes, as for pigs, we tell them where to go and what to do, but for humans, a bit more challenge. So that um, really uh, helped me uh, defining where I want to go and started to work more uh, in uh, in mathematical models of diseases spread in swine and the what really attracts you know like my line of research was how much data and how good the data is uh, collected from the industry and the possibilities that that allow me to answer some questions that are I don't know when I'm going to be able to answer all those questions but it allows me to at least um, you know be very happy with what we can do as far as understanding how a farm becomes infected and which is dominant route of transmission. If it's pigs coming into the site, this is the location where that farm is located or other things that we still don't know. So that really helped me making this decision. And I, I, I did some work as well with cattle in the past, but really, um, the, the complexity of the data and the and how the data is collected from swine is pretty attractive. When you think about modeling and some of the, the challenges that, that we see, but then also how modeling has changed over time. Can you maybe talk about some of the, the key things that have happened um, in the last 20 to 30 years that have allowed us to maybe do a better job of, of modeling disease transmission and movement? Yeah. And this, you know, if you look in history of, of disease uh, models, like you go, go back to 1960s, where when the first mo very basic model of understanding of that people were susceptible, then becoming infected, and then recovering or dying, 
that um, that was very important uh, findings that led to basically three revolution on on this field. One was how we can actually develop um, a dynamic system where we know who is contacted who who and the time between exposure and infection transmission. So that took a couple of years to figure out, but that was solved. Uh, and then after that, the data become more available and then um, it became more expensive in order the time to run these models and computers in the past were a bit, a bit uh, clunky. Yeah, right now we are really, really uh, advanced on that. So that was also sold with technology and we just continued to, to excel on that. Uh, that was then solved, you know, more in the 80s and 90s. And after that then becomes, okay, how do we use then the understanding of the modeling and now the computation that we have to inform policymakers and stakeholders to then make informative decisions with, uh, with then the understanding of how things are spreading and what are the impact of the control interventions that we have on hand. And so that, that's where we at at this point in time. Uh, you know, as COVID showed us that um, we did not know that locking people down will work. And now certainly we have much more of a conclusion that maybe in some places, but not always. So that's very clear um, uh, correlation between that and pigs um, doing hard closure, you know, for how long, when and how that should be done in order to reduce then our uh, spread downstream. So, and so far, you know, the industry has been doing a lot uh, and testing a lot of things, uh, but we are getting to the, to the position now that you can actually test that entire intervention in entire company and see how that actually would reduce transmission and improve production, for example. So. We are right at that at that position, so that's why I'm very excited that you know with the amount of data and the quality of the data industry is is collecting, uh, you know, a lot of things gonna be answer, uh, you know, moving forward. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting point because um, I can always remember whether it was a PERS break or a PED break or whatever happened on the farm, the, the first question from the vet team was, well, how did it get there? And um, in creating a model, in my mind, it's nice, but we have to have the background information to feed the model, right? And so how do we start to gather that information or sort that information out when we may not always know, you know, that A plus B led to C? Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's, you get into complex systems, which is basically understanding how, you know, what, what, what are the, the weak points and what is the minimum data that's needed to try to approximate how things are spreading. So there is some work already done. You know, we did some, there are other groups working on this topic in, in Europe as well. And it is possible to, to, to rank the routes that were more likely to actually infect it, that specific location. So for example, you know, you might have your breeding sites in a quite dense area and perhaps 
maybe you cannot trace by just uh, looking at the data how that cell became infected, but reconstructing the whole transmission change back in time and continue to reevaluate, you can actually uh, figure out on proportion wise, let's say 90% of the breaks can only be explained because of a location. So that leads to um, some decisions that could be made as far as moving that herd then out of that region. It's very expensive intervention. However, if we have those models uh, that run you know, often and for some time, let's say for a year, uh, it's very, you can conclude that that's the case. You can never, you can never exactly uh, explain all the things just because it's, we are in a complex world. We cannot, we don't, we don't have all the data that we need, but with the data that we need, that we have, we can approximate how that farm became affected. So, and, and do that in almost real time. You know, the data that the industry collect is daily, right? It's companies that have their, uh, their situation disease-wise updated every day Every afternoon, they know what happened throughout the whole system. That's really pivotal information that that plus population data, plus the movement of pigs and people is plenty to already start understanding how things are spreading. So that works really well when you have a disease like PERS or PED, where we have experience within the United States, where we can look at that and and start to understand our own system and models. But what about something like ASF? So obviously there's data in other countries, but not all production systems work the same way as they do in the United States. So how do you start to create a model from a disease that we know something about, but maybe not all of the pieces? Mm -hmm. So that's another very good thing for, for the industry in this country is that the data that's needed is there, which is the dynamic of the population, the mortality, the movement. So with that on hand, it's possible to actually create a simulator, like imagine a, a video game where you can actually simulate introduction and you can actually, with the computation that we have on hand these days, you can infect every single farm synthetically and throughout a year, two years, every day, and see what's expected to come out from that farm. How many other farms that farm is likely to be infected? How long will the epidemic? And then the most, uh, I think, important thing to mention is we can implement intervention then before doing it. So with that, we can really work out what's likely to work better if we do have that. And knowing which farms are more likely to actually spread the disease when it comes into the domestic situation is very important. And you know how we feed that information back to the companies and to the producers so they know that their farm is a very important link on the, the transmission of a possible ASF outbreak. So it is totally possible. We have done some work on that uh, already and is. Um, you know, the, the idea is if there is real information, real data production-wise, more, more actually location, population, and, and the movements, it, it is possible to have a national model 
that could be activated at any time that we might have an infection detected and then work from there. Um, so other countries have done these already. Um, and little by little, the industry, I think, is understanding that sharing that information in a protect way, confidential and so on, uh, they benefit at the end uh, because then we are better prepared to respond. We don't want, we're not going to have time to collect that enormous amount of data and produce a, a reliable uh, scenario when we already have a emergency. So uh, is, I'm, I'm really glad the industry is, is, is open to that. So I saw a lot with Bob Martin when I was in Minnesota. He was the first one to start the whole, you know, the industry saw the value. And when MSHIM continued to excel, uh, it, it is important to, you know, to, to continue to have that so we can actually have a chance uh, when we have an emergency. So. so you mentioned that you've been working on some of these models. Um, and, and you also mentioned something about putting in an intervention or setting up a scenario. So have you done much of that? And, and if so, what have you learned from these, from these practices, if you will? Mm -hmm. So we do, we do have, a publication coming up um, and we already developed an ASF model um, and we are interested on, on interested on, on answering a few questions. So first of all, what between all the transmission routes that uh, the data is is available, such as trucks moving between farms, uh, loading crews moving between farms, peaks moving between farms location, um, and also feed and feed being delivery to those sites. So looking at the whole, the, the all, all those possibilities with real data, we're able to estimate uh, for farm type because uh, by security wise, you know, not to go into that yet, but by security wise, if we understand how good of a security is of a breeding site, that should uh, reduce the likelihood that farm to become infected. Yeah. So we also include that in the model and other things. Don't get in detail, but um, we can already see just with uh, with model for these calls that that the contribution of pigs moving between farms um, and the the distance between the farms seems to be the more relevant routes of transmission. Of course, we are missing a few things like rendering and other routes we are missing that part. But uh, we can already highlight that the, the routes that seems to be more important for sows are different from the ones for the downstream farms, which are different from the nurseries. So trying to just do the same thing for, for any farm type, seems to be that maybe not the best idea. So you might need to think a bit more, you know, how, how hard you want to go into, you know, depopping or stopping movements from cells from downstream farm. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, of course, how long the epidemic is expected to continue. You now with no intervention and with the interventions that have been described by the Red Book, so we are working on that part now. So hopefully soon we can also see how feasible those interventions are and then shed some light. And we are working with, 
with folks at the at the at the government level to maybe some things maybe could be changed a bit in order to allow for the business to survive, uh, which makes sense according to them also. That's that's you know that's what we learned so far. You know many things that still need to be done, and uh, uh, we're looking forward to expanding to other states because you know as 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 we know companies operate differently across the country, and some flows are quite mixed up compared to others. So that all plays a big role. You know dynamic of things moving between farms would play a role. We cannot assume that they're all the same. And we cannot simulate that information. So, you know, with, with participation of the companies, um, I think we're going to get uh, better prepared uh, to respond to those questions and and help on on updating some documentations about the response. So, yeah, I, I, we are very excited about that. Uh, but I still still wait a little bit until things come out. But uh, it's interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned just a little bit there about some things that you still feel, you know, would be more value or bring more value to to your model. So what do you feel like still missing that our producers or veterinarians can contribute to help you out? Mm -hmm. So there's some sensitive things that we understand that uh, that uh, rendering, for example, is something that you know there is contracts that goes that attend different companies so there is some some concerns about that information we understand um, so the rendering about still the mortality piece is very important for early detection um, and that's also something that i think is improving there is i know there is a big project going on on mortality and survivability uh led by our state that i think gonna help also understand, you know, what's the baseline of the mortalities. Uh, so that data is also very important. We're still a bit missing on that part. And one thing that we are very passionate about that we're working with the with the biosecurity part of things, we have the, the RAV app, which is um, standardizing the SPS plan. So collecting biosecurity information for every single farm. We have about 10,000 farms now. We have 14 states and 26 companies there. Uh, once we have that information, then we can work out how good those plans are uh, as far as what's in those plans, as far as cleaning stations and other things, and perhaps estimate how a cleaning station is important or not. So if we do have that information and we know how to include that in the model, we can then say, well, maybe you don't need to have a cleaning station this far, or maybe every farm needs to have these three things and having those three things then we are good and trying to not overwhelm you know it, it is overwhelming to implement a biosecurity plan everybody i think agrees with that and and the compliance and all that so if we could you know really see what's really important i think gonna be valuable as well so we are working on that and um i think other things that that uh, will become very important is um, the movement of people that I also know that there is some other projects going out there that are looking at like building digital fences like for other other contacts like uh, mail mailing or other service folks coming on site that they might not even know that the disease is actually spreading. They might be the ones that are 
So those, I think those are the missing pieces that uh, I think with time, we'll be able to include them as well, so. Yeah, I think those are great, great things to think about for sure. So as you look forward in your, in your vision for the model, you know, what do you see for the future? Well, I, I think the future is already here, right? We already in 2022 and um, what we are trying to do is to actually have, especially for person PDNASF, a model that can run national level and can run like quickly in one day or two days. These models are very expensive as computation wise. So we are investing on, on bringing people from physics and other uh, disciplines to work together in order to optimize that. So I think the, the one of the limitations that we have for the future is how we work together, not only with the industry, but also with other disciplines in, in, in closing gaps that we cannot do on our own. And you know we can be good in one topic, but we are missing other pieces. So having uh, you know opportunity to train more students and train more uh, researchers in uh, from different fields and bring into our problems here and disease transmission, especially in swine. Uh, I think if we can do that efficiently, then I think we're gonna create a new, we're gonna excel a new boundary here and we're gonna be able to really get close to, to understand how things spread. And, and the other thing that I see as the future is when we do have that enough information at the barn level, uh, like the whole, the, where pigs are within the pens and what's the dynamic inside the barn, like I can highlight examples of flu, work that has been done uh, by Monse, for example, in Minnesota, that she's looking at how the transmission occur within the facility. We really don't understand well that part yet. So having the ability to include that level, and then the farm level, and then between farm level, then I think then we can retard when we get to that point, I think. So but that's what I see, you know, moving forward and and another thing that uh, not too much for ASF, but more for PERS, you know, PD, flu, and so on is including genomics and including the mutation of virus within our understanding of what's going on. I think it's going to become very cheap moving forward that industry is going to realize that it's maybe not too expensive to include a whole genome in the, in the surveillance that they are already doing. So gonna become cheap enough to have that information. So all these three pieces together, I think um, we're gonna be the ones, I mean, the, the, the veterinary epidemiology side, the more forefront compared to the uh, human uh, epidemiologists, which are, you know, really, you know, doing the work in COVID, for example, but they are lacking a lot of, a lot of data. They do have the expertise, but they're lacking the data. We are on the other side. We have the data, but we are lacking the expertise at this point in time. So I, I really look forward for more, for more training programs you know, all over the, the planet to be able to recruit those brains to, to work on this topic. 
I think that's a great point. You know, we've, we've talked about modeling for years and it was very simple models right back then. And, and now as our technology and our expertise has expanded, so have our models. And so it's exciting to think about all the pieces that we can actually start to look at and put into a model to, as, as you said, just give us the best ability to, to make the decision that maybe it's not 10 key steps for biosecurity, maybe it's three or five and, and that becomes more manageable for that producer. So I, I think that's a great, great outlook for the future. Um, so as we kind of wrap up our time together, um, do you have any key points that you'd like our audience to take away from today's visit? So I, I think um, um, I, I think that is very important to to have in mind that um, even though some people might be you know skeptic about estimations that you know transmission models provide, it is at this point in time you know the best close to reality that we can get. Like we are not at the you know uh, virtual reality yet uh, to be able to actually have that different you know the level on on the model so and this uh you know for for the swine industry it is a huge advantage the data that has been collected compared to you know for our species where we're just guessing a lot we are assuming a lot of things that we don't know uh, with pigs we we don't have to assume so much we have less assumptions we can get more close to to make a decision that actually realize, you know, 3D, we, we don't have to, to test uh, an intervention in the field. We, we can do that, but we can simulate that. And, and then let's say run 10 different interventions and see which one seems to be better and then select the ones that actually seems to be making a better impact and then just focus on those not try to every year try a different thing and then expect, oh, I didn't find anything this time. And then, oh, I didn't find anything this time that worked. So we can do that uh, beforehand and say, oh, this seems to be a very promising intervention. So let's do a clinical trial on that. And that has been done now for a long time in pharma for human health, but for animal health, it's still, still just starting. Yes, I think one of the, Problem is that we don't have enough trained people, you know, to stay on that field for animal health. They all are hired by the farm and human health because of the compensation, right? So maybe maybe the our companies, our farmer companies, can increase, you know, the fight there and and provide more compensation so they can retain those folks and and in the long run they would benefit more as well. So yeah, I stop there. I think that's. You know, I think uh, it, it is. You know, take you know, talk talk about this for for a long time. But this thing, thing that we are going to the right direction. Uh, but the mi big missing piece is to have more trained brains uh, on helping on on answering all these questions that the industry have. You know, every single day. It is time to our famous three. The truth is, precision swine production is not the future. It is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20 minute demonstration at www.everypig.co 
slash swineit. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Well, as you know, we as we wrap up our conversations with our guest speakers, we like to ask you a few questions. So the first question I like to ask is, do you have a favorite swine resource book or website or just a go-to piece? Mm-hmm. So my so my reading as for the past five years has been, uh, I've been reading uh, a paper a day uh, for the last five years. So I keep up that way. Uh, so every night I, I read a paper. It helped me a lot with new ideas and new, uh, you know, new things coming out. I, I try to read things on preprint before they come out of a journal. That also helped me to create new ideas. So that's my whole reading is focused on that. And what I've been actually reading lately is more on, on mentoring uh, and general topics. Mentoring, there's a, a, a book called Bird by Bird that I buy and give to my students, my my PhD students, which talks about story of taking piece by piece and step by step on resolving a problem and trying to be overwhelmed of things. Uh, and it's a story about, uh, you know, someone that was struggling with uh, big tasks. So it helps you break things. So I benefit from that book as well uh, because it's much easier for you to isolate problems and resolve that and then move to the next one. So that's my my resources that that I try to use. Yeah, perfect. Especially when you're working with big data, right? It's it's piece by piece, not not the whole thing. Yeah. Need to be able to isolate things for sure. Absolutely. Well how about something that's maybe not related to your work? Is there a book that you would recommend to our group tonight? So a book that I that I read um Lately, it was uh, Why Do We Sleep? So it talks about relevance of sleeping and the physiology of sleeping. I have not realized that was so important. So I am actually reading it again and trying to apply it to my own schedule. And we tend to neglect to sleep a lot. Uh, but the long term can damage our capacity of you know creating new things and thinking. So. Um, I think that's the book that is, is, is stuck with me right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm really think that uh, is a good reading. You know, you learn a lot of all your daily feelings about life. It tells, tells you the, the truth that you don't want to know about. So, Yeah, that, that sounds like a good read. I'll have to look that one up. Lastly, we like to ask our, our guest speaker, um, if you could think of somebody that you think of as successful, in the industry, what's a characteristic about them that you think has helped them become successful? I think I have two profile that comes to mind. One is people that question a lot, uh, especially in the industry, but also in academia that don't accept things very easily, that they are questioning why, why is that? How can it be possible? Um, I think that helps a lot. Because then, you know, when you make a decision, you have not stress all the possibilities, but you have give a good thought, you know, just agree with the herd and just go on. I think that's very important. And I see higher up people that they all have that, uh, you know, you can see by talking to them. 
And, and the other one is, is work ethic, uh, willing to, to learn things. Like you can spot in the first conversation, people that don't want to put the work, uh, those will, maybe not in the short run, long run, will not have a good success. And the ones that are willing to learn and willing to put the work to, to change their mindset and, and be open to new ideas, I think those tend to be very successful. Um, it's hard to find those, so, uh, but when I, at least when I spot one and I'm trying to recruit, I make the offer right away. So, so those are the two profiles that uh, to me are essential. If, if you don't know something, it's fine. If you're willing to learn you know, that topic, the other way around that, if you know things that you don't like to, you know, to change and to be flexible, then it's, it's a problem. So, yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, I want to thank you for your time today, Gustavo. We greatly appreciate learning about the models that you're working on, particularly as we continue to talk about being prepared for ASF and and certainly as we continue to talk about FERS and some of our other diseases that, that we continue to deal with within the United States. So again, for our audience, this is Dr. Gustavo Machado from North Carolina State University. Thank you, Gustavo. Thanks so much, appreciate the time. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.